Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and this morning I'm joined by Linda Carlisle. It's Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. In this episode, we will talk about the legacy of former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, the Pope's call for action on climate change, the ongoing fighting in Ukraine, the British Army's use of solar panels linked to forced labor, and Russia's military expansion in response to perceived threats. Story number one. According to the BBC, former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who recently passed away, has been praised by many world leaders for his diplomatic skills and contributions to foreign affairs. However, in Cambodia, Kissinger's legacy is not viewed favorably. During the Vietnam War, he ordered secret bombing raids on Cambodia, resulting in the dropping of over two million tons of bombs. The bombings caused significant damage and loss of life, with estimates ranging from 50,000 to over 150,000 people killed. The bombings also contributed to the rise of the Khmer Rouge and the subsequent genocide, where around 1.7 million people died. Kissinger defended the bombings, claiming they targeted the Vietnamese army within Cambodia. The impact of his actions in Cambodia is still deeply felt, with survivors expressing anger and resentment towards the U.S. Are we really surprised, Linda, by the polarizing reactions to Kissinger's death? The man was a force in global politics, certainly. His work in foreign affairs, particularly in ending the Vietnam War, that's commendable. But, you know, there's always more to the story. While some view Kissinger as a skilled diplomat, others remember the devastation caused by his policies, such as the bombing campaign in Cambodia. The human cost was immense, and it's important we don't forget that. And it's not about demonizing one person, it's about understanding the complexities of their decisions. And in Kissinger's case, man, those complexities are, they're dark and deep. I mean, the bombings in Cambodia, they led to the rise of the Khmer Rouge. That's a heavy legacy to bear. Yes. However, it's crucial to remember that these leaders, they're products of their time, often making decisions under immense pressure. It doesn't absolve them of responsibility, but it adds a layer of understanding. And this isn't unique to Kissinger. We see this pattern with many influential figures. Right. Like Churchill, for instance. Hero of World War II, no doubt. But there's also the Bengal famine to consider. Thousands died under his watch. It's a hard truth, but it's part of his legacy. And it's a conversation we need to have, as difficult as it might be. Absolutely. It's a challenging discourse, but it's necessary if we aspire to learn from history. The key is not to vilify or idolize these figures, but to view them in their entirety, acknowledging both their contributions and their mistakes. That's how we truly understand their impact and legacy. Story number two. Pope Francis, as reported by the BBC, called for an end to fossil fuels and lifestyle changes to combat climate change in a message delivered at COP28 in Dubai. Unable to attend in person due to illness, his speech was read by Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Parolin. The Pope emphasized the need for major political change and the embrace of renewable energy. He criticized efforts to blame the poor and high birth rates for ecological and climate crises and called on carbon-emitting countries to forgive the financial debts of poorer nations affected by climate change. The president of COP28, Sultan al-Jaber, has acknowledged the inevitability of phasing out fossil fuels, despite his own oil company's expansion plans. Did you see that, Linda? 
Pope Francis is really pushing for some major changes. Calling for an end to fossil fuels is a significant move. It's clear that he sees climate change not just as an environmental issue, but a social and moral one as well. He's really stepping up to influence public policy on a global scale. It's quite impactful to see a religious leader like Pope Francis take such a strong stance on environmental conservation. It underscores the fact that climate change isn't just a scientific or political issue. It's a humanitarian one, too. And his call for debt forgiveness for poorer countries hit by climate change shows a deep understanding of the systemic injustices that are often intertwined with environmental issues. You know, I can't help but be reminded of how Pope John Paul II played a pivotal role in the fall of communism in Poland. He used his influence to inspire change on a global scale. It seems like Pope Francis is aiming to do something similar with climate change. It's a different issue, but the principle remains the same. Using religious influence to bring about social and political change. That's a great point, Mark. And it's not just the Catholic Church. We've seen other religious leaders, like the Dalai Lama calling for peace and unity, or Desmond Tutu advocating against apartheid. These figures can really galvanize action among their followers and beyond. It'll be interesting to see how Pope Francis's message resonates and what kind of impact it will have on our approach to climate change. And you know, Pope Francis's call for an ecological transition through embracing renewable energy, eliminating fossil fuels, and educating for sustainable lifestyles is right on the money. The shift to renewable energy is inevitable. As the president of COP28, Sultan Al-Jaber, pointed out, it's going to be a massive change, but it's one that we have to make. And having influential figures like Pope Francis advocating for it can only help. Yes, Mark. It's a clear call for collective action. And the urgency of the Pope's message also highlights the interconnectedness of the world today. Actions taken in one part of the world have consequences everywhere else. It's a sobering reminder of our shared responsibilities towards the planet and future generations. If influential figures like Pope Francis can help people see that, it could make a real difference in our approach to climate change. Story number three. According to the New York Times, Ukrainian troops are fighting to regain control of the eastern bank of the Dnipro River, a region long dominated by Russia. Despite being bombed, assaulted, and stalked by Russian forces, the Ukrainian soldiers have managed to hold on to several positions across the river for over a month. The ultimate objectives of the Ukrainian campaign are unclear, but it is speculated that they aim to unbalance Russian forces and disrupt supply lines. While some Western military analysts doubt Ukraine's ability to establish a bridgehead for large-scale offensive operations, the sustained attacks could prove challenging for Russia if critical supply lines are affected. The fighting along the Dnipro River has the potential to reshape the battlefield and pose risks and rewards for Ukraine, as reported by the New York Times. Where this Ukrainian campaign is headed, it's still a bit unclear, right? You've got military analysts and strategists suggesting it could be a tactical move to unbalance Russian forces, or maybe there's something more ambitious in play here. It's like a chess game, but with much higher stakes. The battlefield is a complex puzzle. And each move has far-reaching implications. It's not just about immediate gains, but also about how it shapes the overall strategic landscape. And right now, Ukraine is making bold moves, despite the heavy toll it's taking on their troops. Yeah, it's a David versus Goliath scenario to some extent. They're outnumbered and outgunned, but they're still holding on. It's like they've got this belief that if they can just endure, they can turn the tide. 
It's a bit reminiscent of George Washington crossing the Delaware River during the Revolutionary War. High risk, high reward. That's an interesting comparison, Mark. It really underscores the audacity of their strategy. But it's also important to remember that the stakes are incredibly high. This isn't a game of chess. It's real life with real people. A failed campaign could result in a significant loss of life. It's easy to get caught up in the strategic elements, but we can't forget the human cost. This isn't just about territory or geopolitical power. It's about people's lives, their homes. It's, it's a tough situation, no two ways about it. And the historical parallels you mentioned earlier, they serve as a reminder that these types of conflicts are not new, but the outcomes are never certain. The world will be watching closely to see how this unfolds. Story number four. The British Army is using solar panels made by companies that have been linked to forced labor in China's Xinjiang region, as reported by the BBC. The Ministry of Defense listed JA Solar, Trina, and Qcells as the suppliers of the solar panels, despite a report from Sheffield Hallam University flagging these companies as having a very high exposure to production in Xinjiang. The UK government is facing calls to take a harder line against China and to ban solar companies with links to forced labor from operating in the UK. China dominates the solar power market, with over 80% global share in all manufacturing stages of solar panels. The US has accused the Chinese government of detaining over 1 million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in prison camps, where they are forced to produce goods including polysilicon a core ingredient in solar panels. The Chinese government denies these allegations. There's something troubling about this news, Linda. The British Army is using solar panels linked to forced labor allegations in China. That's a serious ethical issue, isn't it? It's quite a conundrum. On one hand, the world is in dire need of clean, renewable energy sources like solar power to combat climate change. But on the other, we can't ignore the potential human rights violations involved in the production process. Yeah, it's like being caught between a rock and a hard place. But how can these companies ensure that their supply chains are free from forced labor? Especially when dealing with a region like Xinjiang, which is notorious for its lack of transparency. Well, it's a complex issue, Mark. Companies need to implement more rigorous auditing processes, and governments should enact stronger regulations that require businesses to prove their products aren't linked to forced labor. But the reality is, conducting independent audits in China can be challenging. No doubt, Linda. But it's not just about the companies, right? We, as consumers and as a society, need to demand more transparency and hold these companies accountable. It also begs the question, should the UK be reducing its reliance on solar production from China? Good point, Mark. Reducing dependency on any single source is always a good strategy. But it's easier said than done, considering that China's global share in all manufacturing stages of solar panels exceeds 80%. The shift to more ethical supply chains will require concerted efforts from businesses, consumers, and governments alike. Well put, Linda. It's a tough balancing act. We need clean energy to protect our planet, but not at the cost of human rights. We need to push for change, and we can't just hide behind these anti-slavery declarations. There's a lot at stake here. It's a wake-up call for all of us to be more conscientious about where our products come from and the conditions under which they're produced. It's not just about going green. It's about ensuring that our pursuit of a cleaner planet doesn't come at the expense of basic human rights. Story number five. 
According to CNN, Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered an increase in the country's military personnel by 170,000, bringing the total number to over 2.2 million. The move is a response to perceived threats to Russia, including the war in Ukraine and the expansion of NATO. The increase will be implemented through a recruitment drive and will not involve conscription or mobilization. This is the second expansion of the army since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Western intelligence estimates suggest that Russia has suffered significant casualties in the war, with the UK Defense Ministry estimating between 150,000 and 190,000 permanent casualties. The war in Ukraine has reached a stalemate with heavy losses on both sides. Ukraine is also attempting to enlist more troops, but has not implemented full conscription. It's quite something to see Russia expanding its military personnel like this, isn't it? The sheer numbers are staggering. We're talking about a total of over 2.2 million now. This move is likely to have significant repercussions on the ground, particularly in Ukraine. It's important to remember, though, this isn't the first time we've seen such an expansion. Back in August 2022, Putin ordered an increase of 137,000 troops. It seems like a pattern, doesn't it? This pattern speaks volumes about the nature of this war. It's not just about the physical battlefield, but also about the psychological warfare that comes with such announcements. The increase in troops could be seen as an attempt by Putin to project power and instill fear in the hearts of the Ukrainian people, and perhaps also to keep the morale of his own people high amidst the rising discontent. But there's a human cost to it, as we saw with the mass protests and exodus last year. And we can't forget the role of NATO in all this. Russia's defense ministry is pointing to NATO's continuing expansion as one of the reasons for this increase. This could be seen as a defensive move from Russia's perspective, or possibly a way to justify the expansion to its own people and the world community. That's a crucial point, Mark. It's interesting to consider how international institutions like NATO shape the decisions of individual countries. But at the end of the day, we need to question the effectiveness of this military buildup. As Ukrainian military commander Valery Zaluzhny remarked, the war seems to have entered a stalemate. Without significant technological improvements, just adding more troops may not lead to a deep and beautiful breakthrough. Right, Linda. And it's not just about winning battles, it's about the overall strategy. The war's entering its second winter. Both sides have had heavy losses and there's been no major shift in power. It's a tough situation, no doubt about it. And on top of that, there's the issue of transparency. The casualty numbers from Russia remain shrouded in secrecy, which further complicates the assessment of the situation. The lack of transparency is indeed concerning, but let's also not forget the humanitarian aspect. With the previous mobilization causing mass protests and people fleeing the country, one can only wonder about the human toll this conflict is taking. And as Ukraine is also trying to enlist more troops, including women now, the impact on the civil society is bound to increase. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.